everyone, and welcome to the American Scouser Podcast. Another Monday, and we're finally back as a trio. It's been a duo going. I think it's been like three weeks in a row now. Finally, three of us in the same freaking rectangle. Uh, I am your host, as always, Timotin in Kolda, Chicago, uh, who Paul Bittner is back in action after leaving this cold-ass Chicago. What's going on, Paul? What's happening? It's still cold down here. It's just not under snow. So. Yeah, it's we don't have as much. Oh, we have like an inch or something like that. But by Chicago standards, it wasn't snow. It is cold as fuck. BJ made it even before uh, we. I got on air, for God's sakes, this time. And Alan is with us as well. And Gally is with us as well. What's happening, Gally? Ah, not too much. Good to have you both back in the squares. Oh, that's right. He's been the regular, the common denominator, if you will, <laughs> over these last podcasts. But uh, we have Bickler back. And Bickler, I talked about you last week, how proud of you I was for keeping the trivia tradition ongoing. I knew you loved it right. all along, and you were just faking it. So here we go. This, nope. this, <laughs> this week's trivia is from BJ again. Uh, it's World Cup related again and Liverpool related. So, the, which Liverpool player has played in the most World Cup matches? Pickler. I don't know why you're just stalling it, but you can stall for Galley if you want. Ask some questions. No clue. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> trying to. Th- Think. I don't know. Van Dyke's been in the setup for a long time for Netherlands. I mean, the the obvious one to me is Gerard, but I just don't feel like that's right. I feel like there's got to be somebody. There's got to be somebody that's. Would I ask? I mean, I'll go with. I'll go with Gerard. It's it's obvious. I'll go with Gerard. I don't think it's right though. How many games would you think if it's Gerard? How many games? Uh, You said Gerard. You must have a number in mind. No, I don't have a number in mind. 14? I don't know. Doesn't sound like a bad number. But would I ask a question that the answer is Gerard to Galley? That's that's what I'm saying. Probably not. I I I'm gonna guess I'm gonna actually guess that it's Owens, but I don't think it's right. But that's what I'm gonna guess. Cause I don't think I think Gerard missed a cycle where they where England didn't qualify, but I'm probably way off too. Ah, the reverse psychology works like a charm, kids. Because it was Steven Gerrard. And Bickler was right. This is why he loves trivia, people. He was right. It was Gerrard. A number of times is actually, let me go back to the records here, uh, 12 matches over three separate World Cup tournaments, 10 as a starter, 2 as a sub. Harry Hando is guessing Moby and Suarez. Uh, Alan got it with his Gerard guess right there. Uh, so, yeah, there we go. There's the trivia and Bickler in effect. This is why he loves it, people. But we got that out of the way. Let's do some Liverpool stuff first, and then we'll talk about the World Cup because I can see Bickler is just dying to talk about the World Cup because I'm sure he's watching every second yeah. of it. But one news that we did not have since our last podcast is Curtis Jones signing an extension. We did talk about it in the morning show. Kind of like one of the bigger headlines we covered that day. Meanwhile, if you have not followed us uh, every morning, 8 o'clock Central, 
nine o'clock Eastern. Uh, now with the, the World Cup edition, uh, we're on every morning with the morning cup of coffee. I might have to change the name of the show because I'm the only guy who shows up with coffee. We got all kinds of weird drinks showing up aside from that. Uh, but we'll be talking about a lot of the World Cup, anything that comes up Liverpool as we go. But headlines these days mostly have been the World Cup. Curtis Jones, Bickler, how excited are you? So excited on a scale of one to 10. It's like probably busting off the scale at a six and a half. Um, I like, I mean, we see that just because he's one of the ones that we've thought for a while probably needed to move elsewhere. At least me and Gally did. Um, but I mean, there's some precedent for this, right? I mean, I feel like most of the time, a lot of the time players valuations are tied to how many years are left on their contract. So, I mean, I think with the younger player, this could be a potential, move to make before and just try to get maximize what you can off them. At least that's what I'm hoping. Not that I don't wish him well. Um, I just think that um, he's not of the caliber uh, that we need in our midfield, even as a rotational player. And I don't think, I think if he was going to develop the things in his game that we've needed him to develop, he would have done so by now. Hmm. What do you think, Gally? Is that a fair assessment or are we kind of like judging him too early hoping that he would be the savior in the mess that we had right now. So is it kind of unfair to ask? But I do know I'm just playing the devil's advocate over here as always. No, I mean, I don't think it's too early because I think he's been here for three plus years. It's not like it's a year and a half. It's two or three years. He's been part of the first team setup. He has never made a big step forward. If anything, in some ways he's regressed at times. And I think his his overconfidence is why he won't succeed here at this point in his career. Maybe later in his career, he would have had a shot, but being a kid from here, I think it's tough. I'm with Paul. I think I said it at one point. I hope this contract signing is, you know, an investment in his selling on price because honestly, the, the wages they have matter reasonable. And they're the type of wages that any club that takes on his contract can bring in. So, um, I, I feel comfortable with him signing the deal. I just, I'm with Paul. I don't think he's a long-term answer for Liverpool as a club. So this to me is one of those sideways moves, especially in a time when we need midfielders so much. It's like a false narrative. You think it's just, what do you think about that? Bickler? Is it an investment to get more money out of them in the future? Is it more of a deal where maybe if we didn't have, as many injury problems and didn't rely on him, he would not be such a bad option to bring as the sixth or seventh guy in a League Cup game and would be in the homegrown numbers. Uh, whereas now it feels like because of the lack of depth, he's called upon perhaps too early. Or if he can't call up on him now, when the hell are we going to call up on? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's probably a number of those things, right? Like, I mean, the last thing we need is another player rolling out for free uh, on a free uh, and secondly, this is all already an area of obvious need for us. So um, he does add to the homegrown numbers. So if you sign him to an extension, you're not able, like there's not a suitor that comes in and puts up potentially big money for him. At least you've got a homegrown number on a player that you know is, is somewhat capable inside the system. So I think it's, it's, it's probably just a sensible move across the board to do it. Uh, and I do think I do think what you're doing is, is you are sort of inflating the valuation as well. So I think you do have the potential to get max value for him if you move him out. 
So I think it's probably like hits on, on sort of all of those together. Yeah. I'm kind of like torn on Jones, to be honest with you. I mean, I felt, I felt like, you know, similar to Elliot, we expected a lot out of him initially and he showed glimpses of that, right? Like it looked like, Oh, he might end up being the guy. He is the Trent of midfield kind of thing, you know, like homegrown local lad and, you know, like can do well, but then, I know he had those injuries, the weird eye injury and stuff like that, and we never really got what we were hoping to out of him. And I don't know now when he's called upon, I don't know if it's almost like too much on the shoulders. He's playing in positions that is really not his natural position. Like, you know, he's playing on the wing and stuff like that instead of like where he probably would be most suited for. So I don't know if some of the assessment is fair as well. So I think signing him in a contract, kind of like similar to what Galley is saying, buys us some time to see if he can make that extra step with maybe not as much responsibility held up on him and playing in positions that he's actually meant for. And then if not, you can probably sell him uh, after maybe like loaning him or something like that and get some money on him just for the, the English factor alone, the English uh, plus money, if you will. Harry Hando says, what do you – guys think of fsg lads in or out i that's kind of like a long-term conversation but i wanted to kind of like since obviously a lot of the rumors it's kind of like simmered down with the world cup maybe the money is not as much is always out there but when you guys hear these rumors and stuff galley we'll start with you on this one deep inside do you want fsg to flat out sell or would you rather have him have them kind of get another investor, bring some money in, but leave the control with FSG. Like deep inside, what are you rooting for? So I've always been an FSG supporter. I mean, I'm from New England. <laughs> I'm a kid that grew up here waiting for the Red Sox to win the World Series. Those assholes showed up to town and they started winning World Series. I got to admit, I got a soft spot in my heart for them. Um, and then they made Liverpool a winner, so I really can't complain, right? At times, they they irritate me. At times, would I love to see more investment? Of course. So if the business model says, and it does right now, that they need financial backing to compete, they should find financial backing. These guys are smart. They're not going to go out there and, and get a bid on their investment and not know how much it's worth. So they found how much it was worth. And they also found out at the same time there were some buyers so they're entertaining offers. Whether they leave or not, they're not leaving for Saudi money. They're not leaving this club in a with a with a blight on their record. Like these guys are smart, smart businessmen that plan to buy other sports franchises around the world. But what is your preference? Like your personal preference? My personal preference, I think, would be that they stay with enough financial backing that allows them to compete at the level they want. Cause I think these guys want to be elite and I don't think they have the financial backing right now to compete with four or five other clubs in the premier league. I think when it was one club, it was one thing. I think now that there are four or five competitive clubs, I think that we will struggle with the financial backing we have. How about you, Bickler? Like I say, what are you rooting for deep inside? If you had your way, the Bickler way, which is kind of scary, but if you had your way, how would it go about I mean, I, I'll just echo what Galley said. I think like they don't have the money to compete against countries. Okay, like, and that's that's the bottom line is that they're not a sovereign nation. And like, I just want what's best for the club. And obviously, that's to compete financially at that level. I just think down in my heart, 
I think they sell and they get out because I think if you look at what they do from a business standpoint, I think the investment that they put into the club now to compete, not only do they not have it, but I don't know if it makes a whole lot of sense for them to get it because the valuation of the club isn't going to rise in conjunction with what it's going to take to compete at that level. Right. Like, and that's what they do. They buy businesses, they build businesses, they sell on for valuation, and they move on to the next project. And like a lot of supporters have made that a negative and it's not a negative. But if you look at it realistically, I mean, right now is probably the pinnacle of where they're going to hit that sweet spot in terms of like investment dollar for valuation. And I think like, so for me, it probably makes a lot of sense for, for someone who comes in um, and, you know, like my wish is that somebody who's not just filthy corrupt and, and genuinely wants to turn it into a passion project because they care about the club and the community and what it stands for. And that is going to be a very, very tough pull uh, just because people with that kind of money generally don't get it by being good guys. Um, and, and, you know, it's tough to find somebody who, who gets uh, the Liverpool community in a way that you want them to get as a supporter. Yeah, I think, I mean, deep inside, if I had a preference, yeah, they would stick around because obviously they know how to manage the club. Uh, like they have taken some missteps we talked about in the past, but I think in the grand scheme of things, you can see what they've done with the club so far. So I would like them to keep taking it in that direction that they've kind of like put it on. But I do find it hard to believe that there's going to be somebody who's going to give enough, invest enough, to be able to compete with like, you know, like these sovereign countries that you're talking about, Bickler, and not want to be in charge. I just don't know who gives that much money as an investment and says, yeah, here's some couple of billion. Go with it. I just feel like it would be somebody who would come in and say, hey, I'm spending the money. I'm getting the whole thing. Let's just hope it's not somebody like corrupt or, you know, like background wise. I don't know if any couple of billion dollars is made cleanly uh but as cleanly as squeaky clean as possible i guess go ahead Gallagher. yeah I, I i don't know who it'll be you know we've all heard rumblings there's been some that have already been you know debunked the one that keeps coming up is the uh current atalanta owner the former owner of roma that owns part of the celtics uh steve pagliuca He's wanted a Premier League team for a long time and kind of he was involved in the Chelsea bid. So he clearly has money um, and has strong ties to marketing and the type of I could see FSG pulling off a deal with him because um, they know each other, obviously, and they have similar business sides. He might be someone that to Paul's point might buy into the culture and at least he's owned other football clubs. And if you were going to have a tie to any club in, in Europe, Atalanta wouldn't be a bad feeder club um, for young talent to roll through. But I just think it's too fast. I don't know if it'll happen before the summer, but I do think this is real because to Paul's point, and it's something I've said in the past, like, right now is probably the highest value they're ever going to have. And people can say they're the, one of the biggest clubs in the world. It'll only go up. It's not true. If they don't qualify for champions league, the, the actual valuation of this club will plummet in one year's time, like considerably on a sell on price. And on top of that, you're looking at a lot of different factors, like the training facility, the new stand, 
just so many things that are all feeding into it. The women's team being up in the major league or in the uh, WSL, like all these things feed into the overall price. And it makes sense why they asked someone to check on the price right now. But you would think going with what you're saying, then, I mean, they're not going to wait. If they're going to do it, they're not going to wait till the championship thing is resolved. Because if we're qualified and we're in the top four or we win the damn thing, either way, you know, like the club value is going to keep rising. I don't see it unless, you know, we don't do any investment in the squad. I just don't see how it will lose value. But at the same time, these guys are not just looking at increase or staying even. They want to see how much is, is it, does it continue to increase at the rates that it has, which is uh, like not possible to do probably in some ways, but you can keep kind of like peaking with the investment they've done with the stands and stuff like that. You would think the income, the revenue has gone up over time too, and it will continue to with like the gates and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see uh, just Harry Hendel brought it up. So I figured like get your guys take on it. I, I keep seeing like this rumor, that rumor, and they just keep the bunk. So I think on this, until there's something more solid, it's kind of like the it has become the transfer rumor uh, kind of a deal, except with owners instead. But let's get to what everybody is talking about right now, which is the World Cup. I know you are not a huge fan of the international game the way it is, Bickler, especially the U.S. national team. Uh, we talked a lot about it with uh, Galley last week in terms of like our take on the World Cup and stuff, but. I did mention it then, then since you're kind of like the moral compass of this podcast overall, I uh, figured, right. you know, you would tell us where That's, you stand. That up. is terrifying. All right. <laughs> yeah, I did. Man, I picked a good backdrop for this. Jeez. <laughs> well, right, what do you think? You're, you're all in? I, all in on what? This farce of a World Cup? I mean, we're here. We're having it. Like, I mean, I'm not going to boy. I'm not going to be one of those people that's, like pretends like they're going to boycott it, not watch like as which is hilarious. Cause it I'm be the easiest boycott ever. Cause I really don't care anyway. Um, but like, I, I just feel like uh, football is on. I'm going to watch it. I mean, FIFA has been this corrupt forever. And so I'm not going to put this on Qatar and make them the villains. Like <laughs> all they did was show up with the money. Like, um, by the way, that Netflix documentary is is pretty yikes uh, on FIFA. If you guys have not watched that, the FIFA exposed or whatever is just it is it is pretty. Uh, it's gross. Uh, anyway, yeah, you need yeah, a shower I mean, after watching, <laughs> it, dude. It, it's so and it and it's it's the frustrating thing is it's just a bunch of white filthy rich people that are already filthy rich getting more filthy rich off of like countries that the rest of the world has essentially pillaged for raw minerals and goods. Like it's so just basically, so basically you're telling me about the history of time. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's, it's basically so imperialism. More less same as any other world cup. I mean, we're four games in, I've watched about as much as like I care to watch, but I, I mean, uh, which is all of the games, okay? Oh, all right, oh. well, mostly because I don't want to work. All right, uh, like, like <laughs> I work from home. All right, <laughs> like uh, that's that's the that's the pandemic game changer for everybody. We can all watch the World Cup now. Um, no, I think uh, I'm trying to think of the last World Cup I remember really being into is probably South Africa. For some reason, I don't I don't know. I, I feel like I was pretty into that one. 
Um, this has been all right. I've watched it. I mean, big shocker, first game of the, the day. Nobody can get in the stadium because the app crashed for ticketing, which, like, you know, we haven't had four years to get an app ready for this. Like, I don't know. Well, we didn't know how many people would show up. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you would think – I mean, you would just think that you would – like, an app functioning is, like, the, the most basic – like, you can prepare for that with tech <laughs> – tech support and all sorts of stuff like uh and i work in cloud-based software so i know a thing or two about thing hitting the fan on that stuff so but i mean maybe they're using the same servers that we play uh fantasy premier league on i don't know yeah <laughs> crashes when there's more than 10 people trying to change the lineup <laughs> we're not ready for this we don't have the back end for this uh but <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, here's the thing. I'm always a lot more excited about World Cups compared to the, even the Euro or Copa America and stuff like that just because, like I say, I just like the different systems. And as they they come closer, I think, over time, like South American uh, football compared to European and stuff like that. But they're still very unique and different. Uh, yeah. The different fan bases. I mean, you watch the game with... Senegal and Netherlands, I think that's the first game that I felt like it was a World Cup game. It just felt the environment felt totally different. You hear the stands, it sounds totally different and stuff. And that's what I really like about the World Cup. And I know like a lot of the stuff kind of puts stain on it. And I think I'm able to work in from home, like you're saying, Bickler. I mean, the laptop is here. The games are on. I'm not getting up at four in the morning to watch freaking Argentina play Saudi Arabia. But, you know. Uh, starting with our morning breakfast show, pretty much every game is on and I'll be watching it. So, so far, Galdi, I mean, we talked a lot about it last week in terms of how much we would follow it. What do you think so far? Better than you expected? Worse than you expected? I'm sure U.S. is better than you expected. Am I right? Oh, well, yeah, they scored a goal. That was one more than I called for them to score, I think. I think it was two oh, weeks ago Jesus. I said they would they would score zero goals in three matches. Um, I still would take the under if you gave me two, um, but I uh, no the I it it's been exciting. It has I've been entertained at times. Um, you know the VAR controversy five minutes in. I mean the farce that was taking that goal away from Ecuador and you know the money bags that must have rolled in. It just makes you question everything to the Ecuadorian fans chanting, we want beer. Like it's, it's kind of outstanding shit people. Like it is, it's going to only get crazier. It's been happening for literally 48 hours and there's almost anarchy um, over like a bud heavy. And that to me makes me laugh. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I mean, you started with that. I still don't understand what the hell happened because they showed one highlight of a foot of a cartoon character sticking out compared to the other one that was probably drawn by somebody who Qatar paid off. They're like, hey, put this guy here. Put his foot over here. Like, they never showed an angle, lines, nothing. And then at halftime... Like Fox acted like nothing ever happened. They were like, "What? What's the air? We must have." I turned the game on in the fifth minute or something. Like, go they, ahead. They they keep saying that it's this whole two players, and normally the keeper is one, but in this instance, the keeper is beyond the play, and when the keeper touches the ball down, they're saying that one of the Ecuadorian players touched it. And therefore, the player that was in front of them, which was Valencia's foot, 
is in an offside position because that one guy who's like seven yards <laughs> towards the touchdown, <laughs> like seven yards away, he literally <laughs> is out of the view. He can't be caught by the 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 camera at that moment because he's so far playing oh, alongside. Oh yes, he can. Enough money like, pays and shows. I mean, I initially thought insane. it was because of the goalie. And it was the header coming in. First, I thought it was Valencia was off initially, which I'm like, that shouldn't matter because the ball didn't come from that header. Then they kicked the header. I'm like, okay, I know the goalie doesn't count, but there's like still like a bunch of guys in there. And then they showed that thing for like literally five seconds. They're like, see, foot off. Let's keep going. Nothing to see here. And then it was just like, okay, what happened? And I'm like, okay, you know, my brother and I were like texting back and forth. And he's like, how the hell is that off? And, and like, the other side of it. the computer, like the fucking the shake, or like, it's literally the, the best way that you could have possibly started that World Cup. And, and the other <laughs> side of it, no. And the other <laughs> side of the whole thing was if they had cut away to the other side of the like, like they show the play, and on the other side of it was literally Scrooge McDuck just swimming through money, just <laughs> counting it as he spit it up in the air, and they came out with like a chic hat on. <laughs> Do you yeah, think I there's like a understand? There's got to be like outside, like you're like, yeah, you know, the Fox just really didn't even touch on it, you know, and like VAR came down real quick. And it's like, I think out of any major point of like uh, public broadcast, there's just got to be like a guillotine sitting there, like with just one guy stand, standing on standby. Like, <laughs> it's like, uh, it's going to be wild, man. I love it. And as I watch, by the way, like, so I watched it on like different channels so far, right? I've seen it on like BBC. I've seen it on Fox and I've seen it on like the Turkish channel. So like, it's all very odd how the approach towards the world cup really changes from like place to place. Cause I mean, the Turkish one, you know, it's at the, you know, same religion overall. I mean, Turkey is like, I don't know what it is now, but it was like 95, 98% of Muslim or something like that. So you have the common religion. So they're not nitpicking on some of the religious stuff as much, not to offend, you know, the regular Turkish folk, if you will. But they are kind of like nitpicking on other stuff. BBC is like just like hammering them and probably as yeah. they should. And then Fox is acting like we're in Iceland. Like they were like, what? We're in Qatar? What are you talking about? Like, oh, you know, Fox? Like, like, like nothing is happening. It was are you so serious? weird seeing the differences. I thought this was in Phoenix. Fox, Fox, Fox is basically Fox, Fox has done everything to make me think this thing is happening right here in the good old USA. Everything but having like Hank Williams sing the open. Like there's this is out of control for me. I think their coverage has been appalling. Honestly, I I think the fact that they make me sit through Alexi Lawless for a fourth World Cup is just criminal the fact that Clint Dempsey is one of the color commentators like that's just stupid and I don't even hate Dempsey like you do um I've told the funny Dempsey story about him going crazy and demanding the the transfer out of the revolution and then them telling him no him literally walking back into the dressing room punching the captain in the face in front of the media and then looking at a buddy and going now they'll transfer me. And he was sold like three hours later. Like it's one of the all time great, like he's one of the few American athletes who would actually do that kind of thing. Like he really gave two fucks and his cow, his color commentary shows that at halftime, 
they're just terrible. Rob Stone's actually a professional, and everyone else they make him work with is just an absolute <laughs> buffoon. Like, Rob Stone just sits there, I think, sometimes, and he's like, how did I get this? How did I get Tony Miola, freaking Stu Holden, and freaking J.P. Della Cameron? What's going on here? So that's a good – by the way, I mean, uh, somebody told Alex Salas, you can't look any more douchey than you are. And he's like, challenge accepted. And then he has managed it. And then put well, Dempsey next to him, who I despise. I mean, he's up there with Neymar. Since now he's retired, he's off the picture. But otherwise, he would be neck to neck with Neymar and rolling around on the ground. Um, but, okay, so here's the question. And I know in the U.S., I think this is done more perhaps than uh, – Back home as well in Turkey, but in like England and stuff too. Would you rather Bickler see or listen to somebody who knows the game, but it was like a nobody when they were playing? Or do you want some kind of a validity, somebody with a career over there talking? I mean, as a as a fan who's listening, what is your preference? Because I feel like in the States, there's this thing where they're like, they got to be able to, like, the fans have to be able to recognize the guy because it almost feels like they act like they're going to say, Oh, do you freaking know? And then they're going to, you know, underneath, they're like, you know, appeared in four quarterfinals or something like that, like a stupid, like a title, like a resume line. So, what is your preference? So, I think there's an overemphasis on, uh, on, on game experience, like, clearly. And, and I think I understand why. I think at its best, it looks like Tony Romo, who can intelligently sit there, look at a play, dissect a play before it happens, explain to the casual viewer what's happening, and take a very sophisticated play and break it down so the average consumer can appreciate it and understand it and has good personality behind it. I think that's it at its best. I think Tony Romo is a one in 100 character. Um, what I what I miss, and we talked about this earlier in the Discord channel, was just like from a professional standpoint, the greats, the Bob Costas, the Vince Scullys of baseball. Like, like I think we've lost the storytelling angle of sports in in a way. And, and like I think I don't think you would need to have played the game to be able to tell the story and let the game breathe. And I think that's what the great commentators do. A lot of times they don't talk; they allow the game to talk the sounds of the game to come through. Um, and when they do talk, I don't think they necessarily need to bring you through exactly what's happening in the player's mind. Like, I think just the, the ability to actually speak a narrative of what's happening as a game is story in motion. Like, I think we've lost that. Um, and at worst, what we get is somebody like Tim Howard who legitimately should be used as like a Guantanamo Bay torture device where we just put people in a dark room and have him read lineup cards <laughs> until they fold and tell us all war secrets that we've been wanting from them. Like, I just, I do not understand forcing X players into the booth who clearly do not have the personality for it and do not show any signs of improvement on the job at all. I don't get <laughs> Tim Howard. I mean, here's the thing. I think that's a good point in terms of the over talking. And I think that's what gets to me the most is the, it feels like the color commentary guy has to fill in any gap in silence and they don't let the game breathe at all. So the moment the other guy is done, he was like, he shoots it wide and it's like, okay, 
people are like right. what do you did over there is honest and like we know bro like some of the stuff you just don't have to yeah. explain or try to explain everything and i feel like overall if they were explaining the game like i always like you know mentioned this when i first came to the us and had no idea about american football I, I was watching a lot, like, as I was learning, one of my gigs was, like, watching the place, uh, giving out quarters in college. And they had this huge screen. And I worked Sunday noon to 6, so watched a lot of football. And it was John Madden, because he would explain, and kind of like what you're saying with Romo, he would really break it down, and it would be pretty basic, maybe, to somebody like you guys, you know, like, familiar with the game. But to a person like me, I was, like, I was really learning the game. As he was talking. And I know, you know, after three, four years, I was like, okay, if a wide receiver can't touch it, he can catch it. We got that. You know, like you said that a hundred times already. But I feel like they're not even doing that one day talk, Galley. Like it's not even like teaching the game or telling a story. Like I like like the NBC broadcast when Dixon or somebody talks about something that happened to them, and you get like a perspective, you know, like when I was playing with this guy, he would say this, blah, blah, blah. That's what I want to hear as a fan, not just like something. Like, don't tell me what I just watched. I can see what just freaking happened. It's a TV. It's not a radio. Well, th this is the problem. We're Americans, and this isn't important. <laughs> no, <cool>. this <laughs> no, this isn't important enough for this to be their job year round. They're doing this every four years or for every big tournament. Like Landon Donovan is a coach. He's not a professional color commentator. He's a coach. Like, he's coaching a professional team in the USL. Like, trying to get into MLS. Like, trying to become a, 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 a professional head coach. Like, this is my problem. They don't take it seriously. If Fox really wanted to do well, they would have went over and they would have hired quality world-class color commentators they would have gotten people from the premier league they would have gotten people from other federations that actually do this for a living they would have brought in some spanish commentators to actually add something like they just give us ex-players they give us literally tony miola uh Stuart holden and and landon donovan the, so they just the ex -players. who do you remember as names we'll just bring him over that's it. I mean, it's 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 kind of a joke that it doesn't, and that's why you know you, you Paul made a comment earlier about like how they figure out how to let it breathe and and when to make moves. That's where I give a lot of credit. Like NBC, Arlo White took the money, right? Like the the Live Golf Tournament came in with a bucket load of money. I think they gave him like thirty or forty million dollars, and they were like, "This is like a five year deal. Be the voice of this." And he was like, bye, Premier League. I'm out. And I think the Premier League was smart. They could have hired another American. They could have tried to find a voice that people would know here. And they were like, no, this Peter Drury guy is really good over there. We're just going to pay him a shit ton of money. And he's got some of the most iconic calls in the Premier League of the last, like, 20 years. And we're going to let it do it here in America. And I find the broadcast much better since Arlo White's gone and Peter Drury's calling the main call with Dixon and Graham Lasso. Like I find that it's a, a better game because I think he understands to your point. He lets it breathe. He kind of gets out of the way of the big moment. I think he knows how this game works. And once again, we want to make soccer American. 
and football is like a worldwide game, and we won't figure it out till we recognize that. What does that take though, like to make it American? Like we've talked about this before, like Bickler, like what does a broadcast have to have, you think? Because we are soccer people, like we don't represent, I think, the average American that ideally I want them to appeal to. So this sport gets bigger, right? That's what we want. The casual guy getting locked in and then obviously eventually following some, you know, like higher class soccer and watching Premier League and stuff like that. What do you think it takes to bring just a casual dude who probably only remembers Donovan from this World Cup and then Miola from that World Cup and stuff like that. Like, what do you think it takes, Bickler, to kind of suck those fans in? I mean, I I don't think it takes American commentating. Like, that's for damn sure. Correct. Like, I mean, like, I, mean I was distinctly drawn – well, I mean I, I was drawn to the game at an early age because I played it, but, like, I also, like – I, I just, I think there is something like poetic about true British broadcast of just about anything. Like I think they broadcast just about everything better than we do. Um, and, and so like, for me, it's like, I don't think there's an American version that's an improvement. I think what can happen is I think that we can get to the point where <clears throat> we have people that are coming out of journalism and broadcast school that are, like genuinely interested in learning more about the game and can learn the ins and outs of, of how the game flows and how to call it um, from the best, which aren't American. Um, and I think we can get to the point. I think it helps that we're actually getting out of this like fascination with the 1990 U S world cup team that Miola and lawless was on because like, let's be real folks in 1990, that national team that like made soccer famous in the United States, like, those were stoner dudes that were misfits that played professional soccer because they happened to do it at a good enough level when they were kids, when the competition and the actual level of play in this country wasn't very good. And so like you, it was just a bunch of dudes who listened to Pearl jam and like hung out. And it was like, it was just a very different era. So I think like, I don't even think those dudes broadcasting like have like a legitimate level of experience, like at a top, top level to really understand this stuff in and out. I mean, at least you can say with Dempsey, he's played the Premier League, right? At least he's gone in and out of that and seen that. I just think, I don't know. I think the further we get away from that sort of that 1990s team and like the ex players that are coming in are more recent, I think that will help. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. I think that I, I, I'm in the school of thought where I just like to see this return um, to less ex players and more uh, business and journalism kids out of school that really want to want to tell the game. But you think that appeals to the casual fan too, Gally? I mean, to us it probably will, but to a guy that's like just kind of like, oh, it's the World Cup, turn it on. Do they want to kind of like recognize the dude? They watched two World Cups. Ago. Listen, at at. On the halftime show, if I want to watch Charles Barkley on, you know, TNT or something like that, both be entertaining and teach me things about professional sport because he's a great player that I like. Like, I understand the ex-player thing on the the dais or the, the panel. But when I tune into a game or a match or a tennis match or whatever the hell it is, sporting event that I'm watching – 
it really doesn't matter about the commentator. I want the commentator to play a role in painting the story and 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 painting the picture and telling me the tale. Like I don't need them to be the star. They're never the star. They're just the vehicle. Like they they just are along for the ride and like hopefully they make that ride more entertaining with the way that they paint it and the emotions that they bring up in the way that they do it. You know, God forbid we talk about baseball, but you know, Paul mentioned Vin Scully and like, but, but some of the great calls in like yeah. American history are baseball calls, whether it's, you know, Jack Buck calling the home run for the Dodgers off, you know, that Gibson hits off Eckersley or, you know, like the, I don't, I don't believe what I just saw the, you know, do you believe in miracles in the hockey? Like these are moments that you remember because of calls those are great commentators. None of them are professional athletes. They were just professionals doing their job. And I just think that's more important than um, whether or not you played for the United States men's national team at some point And anyone in this country knows your name because nobody's listening on Sirius XM because Landon Donovan is talking during the England game today. No one. See, I think part of the problem is I think the media thing has become where they want to be a shocking and B, they do want to be the star. And when you talk about, you know, like those famous calls, I think those calls are special because A, they're not planned. And B, that guy just happened to say that at the time. Yep. He didn't prepare for that. Like he didn't have that in his pocket. I almost feel like now maybe it's just me and just getting more cynical as I get older, but you see something happen. And you get a call and you feel like that was in the pocket all along. You know, he was waiting for an opportunity to say that. It is not natural. He just takes that and like, aha, finally, you know, it was like ready to go for this is what they do. And that's what it feels like. At least that's what it comes across. Because I feel like the media personalities try to make themselves bigger than the sport they're talking about, bigger than the event they're talking about. And that's why, you know, you see all these guys on ESPN and stuff there just to say, shocking stuff or just to you know yell and scream or you know you you know like loss is gonna be there like extra douchey is loss really i hope to god he's not in like that in like natural life and stuff like that but you think that's part of the problem victor is like the media itself not necessarily these characters these guys are ex-players trying to fit into a system of media that they're not really compatible with and when they try it looks uglier than it probably should I think that American television broadcasts is trying to steal. I don't know. Steal is probably not the word. I think they're trying to adopt the model that the NFL has done. And I think it doesn't translate. And I think they're desperately trying to pull more people in thinking that that'll work by using X players. And maybe it's, maybe it's an actual talent pool situation too. Maybe it's a shallow pool to actually pull announcers in for and in, in to get into this. I don't know. But I do know that it doesn't work, and it's not what like real supporters of football or soccer in this in this country really want. I know that. Yeah, it's like almost like pathetic to the point where, like, I mean, at one point today, I switched to the Spanish broadcast, and I don't speak. I watch it in Spanish. Spanish. I, yep. I've always, I've always questioned. Like, I don't know that soccer or hockey, for that matter, honestly requires two announcers. I think with a really good play-by-play announcer, and I know that we all, um, you know, everybody 
you know, we, we all get on Martin Tyler because of the stupid shit he says and his hatred for Liverpool, and that's documented, and the dude's done some shitty stuff. But that guy would prefer not to work with a color commentator and just call game, call matches himself because he just basically calls the play and allows, like, the crowd, to our point earlier, to basically play the role of color commentator. And he just basically tells you what you're missing by not being able to see it. And and for me, I don't I don't always know that you need one in soccer. And I've always said that about hockey too. Like I think hockey if called right doesn't require color commentary because the hits and the sound and everything you get from it almost plays the the role of the color commentator. So I just think we over we overproduce television especially here in America which doesn't uh, surprise me that we're overdoing it even more on a World Cup stage. See, I think it's part of the because it's different than American sports, right? I mean, in baseball, you probably need it because somebody oh. has to talk while people are scratching their balls and, you know, like just touching the ball and fondling the ball and, you know, whatever the hell they're doing when it takes like 55 seconds to do a pitch. They got to, you know, um, you know, fill in the gaps. In football, I feel like it's really technical. I mean, there's a lot of nuances to it. I mean, that's why they have like 85 different freaking coaches and stuff like that. So I think there's a lot of technical things to explain. In soccer, I think some of it is pretty straightforward where you can kind of let it breathe and you, we're seeing it like we're watching it. I almost feel like they are doing this broadcast like we're listening to it on the radio and trying to draw us to like what's happening. But we're like, I know, we just saw it. You don't have to say that. But either way, we will probably have to put up with this. I mean, I don't watch any of the studio shows for the most part, to be honest with you. When the game is over, I'm I'm done. I move on to the next thing because nothing they say for like 10 seconds and then go to a commercial break is going to uh, interest me. So, let's see. Um, Harry Andrews saying a lot of stuff, but predictions for Friday. Let's go with that one because uh, U.S. team played today. Obviously, that's the next biggest thing. We know Bickford is a huge U.S. soccer fan anyway, so can't go without talking about it. Uh, Gally, what do you expect out of that game? Obviously, we saw both teams today. What do you think happens? I almost feel like this is better for Wales because for U.S., assuming they're not going to be able to beat England, and I don't think they will. Um, I think the U.S. is a worse situation if something happens and Wales scores three. You don't want the U.S. Going, hitting the field saying, we got to score three because that's not really suitable for them. I mean, after watching Wales today, I'm not going to – I mean, I came into this thing saying Wales would go through and U.S. would go home. So let's be real before that we even start talking here. I thought U.S. was terrible, finishing dead last in this group. Um if Walker Zimmerman doesn't make a rash challenge, he doesn't need to make under any pretense. They they get three points today and they're in strong position to move on in this group. So I actually give them a little bit of credit. They actually perform well today and put themselves in a position to get points. Um, I, I think they lose two, three goals, whatever the final score is by two or three goals to England and I think that's going to be tough. But I think England's going to do that to Wales, too. So this is going to come down to which of our two teams beat Iran worse. And I don't think America will beat Iran by that much. So I will still say Wales goes through in this group. But 
I don't give the United States much of a punching chance here, though I was impressed with the way that they fought today. You're on mute. There, let's try to block the coughs over here that I've been doing nonstop. But yeah, I almost felt like Wales did not start with the right 11. And once they kind of completely changed at halftime, and you could kind of see some of the weaknesses of the U.S. team, especially like in set pieces or dealing with like a like a target man, if you will, defensively when there was one there. So I think it kind of like it's just going to be interesting in terms of what Wales Iran game does more than actually the Friday matchup against England in some ways. Um, and like how many Wales can score on them if they can beat them because I know Iran looked brutal today, but they're a lot better than they looked, I think, against a good England side. What do you expect, Pickler? For Out Friday. of what? From Friday or this group in general. I mean, I no think boy. we'll get I think we'll get beat pretty soundly. I wouldn't be surprised if it's like a four-nil thumping. Uh, I agree with you. I'm not convinced we'll beat Iran, to be quite honest. I think they're actually fairly decent. Um, so I thought it was interesting. I'll give Burhalter some credit. I thought it took a lot of balls to come out with the high line right out yep. of the gate with those center backs that we roll out and like call our best. I thought that was, <laughs> I thought that was borderline <laughs> reckless, and, but Hey, I mean, it, 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 it played it like, not only did it pay off, I thought he made a decent second half adjustment to respond. Like, and this is something we, we kind of criticized Jurgen Klopp for like he was playing chess today. He made an adjustment assuming that Wales would make an adjustment. And like it, it like it paid off in the long run. Um, I think we're hot garbage in general, though, and I don't like. I think that we'll finish bottom of the group still. I'll be honest though. It's like uh, I was telling, talking with my brother. Is he was like, "What is this like an American thing?" Because USA play plays a little like Leeds, where it's uh, very fast and reckless. Very entertaining to watch because I thought today that Wales game was probably the best game in terms of, you know, for a casual fan to watch overall. But it feels like sometimes they play faster than they probably should, if you will. They almost outpace themselves. It looks hectic and careless. And, you know, when you play against a good team like England and stuff, if they do those mistakes, they can really hurt them when they lose that ball in midfield and stuff like that. But uh, it should be an interesting one. There's definitely a lot of... Uh, interesting games coming up in the group stages, uh, but really next round is when the action will start. So Thanksgiving is this week. What does Bickler do on a Thanksgiving day? I'm sure entire fans want to know. What can we expect out of a Bickler Thanksgiving? So I will do the same thing that I've done since I was a child. I will watch the Detroit Lions lose. Um, and then when you turn 21, you watch the Detroit Lions lose with beer cans involved. Um, so I'll be doing that. I'll probably be receiving videos of my dad making a turducken where he glues legs, unnecessary legs onto a turkey um, because he thinks it's really funny for the turkey to have like 12 legs, um, even though it's just like him like eating. Uh but uh, other than that, no, I, I don't have the kids this year, so I'll be uh, I'll be watching football at home. I'll be in sweatpants, just swimming in beer cans. Um, shout out the clouds! So are you gonna make yourself a turkey and stuff, or no? Fuck it, maybe a frozen. No. So you do, what are you gonna order? Like Boston Market? What are you doing? 
Dude, I don't know, dude. I've got like just Kansas beer is the main I'm part. Gonna, like, else is I got I got Kansas soup. I'll probably Facetime. He's got Stanford. The pot. You know, he's got three. the pot. The Bickler Classic. I'll Facetime Stanford. You know, like we'll we'll get on Rosetta Stone and le- learn a new language together. I don't know. He's he's literally gonna get to watch two and a half World Cup matches before his Detroit Lions begin to lose. <laughs> yeah, it's like losing before I lose. How about you, Gally? What's the game plan? Uh, you know, it's a family day. We'll uh, we'll roll over. We'll watch some soccer in the morning, probably here, and uh, go over to my sister's house. She lives real close, literally like five, ten minutes away. It'll be tight family. Watch, eat a lot of good food. And then it's actually a, a big Galvin uh, day because you got the Bills you got the Bills playing at one. You got the Giants playing at four, and then we both root for the Patriots to lose at eight. So everybody wins. Yeah, I mean us. We're, it's just us four. It's like the traditional uh, Uras Thanksgiving where we make a bunch of stuff that we probably shouldn't for four people. It feels like there's going to be other people coming, but it never is. So you get to eat that for days to come every year, including on the way in today. Like I was talking to Angie, and we were like, we should probably get a smaller turkey, blah blah blah. But nope, it won't. It will be like a freaking thing that's designed for twelve people and a lot of food, and then watching a lot of. Usually bad football. You rarely get good games I'm, on Thanksgiving, right? Is it just me? Maybe yeah, Detroit I mean, well, play. part of that part of that is Detroit the same plays team. Every, part of that is Detroit yeah. plays every year. That's part <laughs> it's, of it. It's Dallas and Detroit are guaranteed games. Yeah, so, and maybe that's why. I mean, sick yeah. of seeing freaking Dallas the way it is. Uh, so. You get like one. Uh, you get one bandwagon team, and then you get one team that's huddled around a trash can. Like, uh, I mean, that's how that goes. So here, Ariando is like a new follower over here, which welcome aboard. I appreciate it. I appreciate you following. So now we have to introduce, as a man from Liverpool, just from all of our family, we're all obvious from. I am actually originally from Istanbul, Turkey, uh, but I've been in the U.S. way too long, probably half Americanized by now, but I'm originally Turkish. Uh, Bickler is from a box under a bridge, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I originally grew up in the northern woods of uh, Michigan with uh wolves parents and then i uh, came down to north carolina for school um i've lived in southern california i am back in north carolina along the shores of the atlantic yeah i don't know i mean i know why but i actually even like started college in london then came over here to finish college and got stuck in this midwest miserable weather and i've been in chicago since if i had to do it over i would have probably started with california or something like that somewhere better weather i would say how about you galley Introduce yourself. I am, Show yourself. <laughs> I am, uh, am Gally. I am from Western Massachusetts, and I was born here, kind of raised here, went to school in New Hampshire, uh, enjoyed a long time up there, and then came back home, planned to leave, and met the best woman ever, and we've been here ever since. Staying in Western Massachusetts. wife every freaking show, dude. Oh, you notice this, Pickler? It's, this is just because this has major fantasy implications. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantasy football, by the way. See, Harry Andrew is new. He's going to not understand what kind of fantasy yeah. this involves. So let's make that very clear to get go. Well, we like well, to gamble and we like to we like to bet on things. We like to compete. Harry, Harry welcome to the group. 
<laughs> yep, welcome to the group. This is a great way to end the show. Ends up like a bad dating show at the end. But we are here. Welcome aboard. And then we will be back Monday. A lot more World Cup to cover. God knows how many fiascos we'll get to talk about. Apps and fans and VAR and all that kind of stuff. Until then, have a great week, everybody. Don't forget, every weekday in the morning, we do our morning coffee show. Grab a cup. For God's sakes, grab a cup of coffee or tea so I'm not the only one with a hot drink. And we'll be back Monday. You guys have an awesome week. Take care.